0: Shake your groove thing, shake your groove thing, again. Yeah, yeah. Show them how we do it now Shake your groove thing, shake your groove thing, again. Yeah, yeah. Show them how we do it now
1: episode came out. I'm recording this on Christmas Eve, Yule Eve, depending on what you celebrate. It feels like I'm doing the 12 Days of Podcast, but I have so many wonderful interviews already in the can, as they say, using old lingo. That refers to film being in the film can and finished with, you know, filming and editing. Um, So I have all this in the can. It out. And then I have a lot of other things I've been wanting to talk about and it feels like a good time to do that. Talk about a busman's holiday. That's another old expression kids where it talks about a man who, a man at the time, but you know, a person now uh, who was a bus driver and then would go on a road trip with their family on vacation. So a busman's holiday. So a transit worker's holiday. Oh, I think it was starting to turn the snow out there maybe. It's been raining since last night. At any rate, I have a little of that upper respiratory funky feeling. And it sucks because I'm debating whether to go get a test or not. Because they said the Omicron, if you're vaccinated, it's really easy to feel that way. I don't think it would. Like my mom is boosted also. So, but you know, I don't want to be the one responsible. If she happens to be one of the unlucky ones. So, um, wow, that was a bad way to start. But in this episode, uh, I talk about the pharmaceutical industry and Western medicine and the experiences both of people who um, are able to use medical pain management without abuse disorder and those who uh, are real victims of the way people prescribe medication sometimes, like my mother, and then also um, how all of that fits together, and how a lot of the uh, doctors, and I should clarify before this comes out, and you get to the meat of it, that I'm not... Blaming the medical community at all, I think to a large degree they can be victims of the pharmaceutical industry as well, um, and the privatization of hospitals. The corp, you know, making it corporate, making it commercialized, commercialized healthcare. Uh, they don't know how. Like they're told. They're told how to prescribe things wrongly. I believe what happens is the drug companies go, all right, well, how much of the medication does it take for it to work? And then how much more can we give someone and have them be okay? Because then they sell more. I know that sounds outlandish, but uh, after you listen, maybe it won't sound so outlandish. So, I don't think it's the doctor's fault necessarily either. So, enjoy. Here we go. And I love you all. Hello, Groovers, Xanadu Collective. Uh, you may have noticed that the opening episode, which is numbered um, lower than the prior <laughs> three episodes, uh, or yeah, three episodes just came out there are two reasons for this and I won't do this again it was just a mistake I made basically um first of all I forgot how numbers worked and somehow went from uh 100 to like I skipped 102 is what it was I think um anyway so <laughs> I have corrected numbers and fixed my super basic math which is hilarious that tells you what the two weeks were like with all the time shiftiness. Phew. I think we're in the integration phase. So it should feel a little less shifty um, and unsettled and maybe a little more psychedelic. I just had the weirdest experience. I was looking out of my kitchen window and it is raining, but... There's no wind and I was looking and it it looked as if as if it had started having like turning to fog somehow and was being being blown like billowing smoke. But then immediately I realized, okay, well, it's geometric and it's like a holographic overlay of the scene that you're watching. So you're seeing the energy moving through this. Place in space and time in this reality, and it was like, whew, everybody better hold on to their hats, they're going to start seeing some really exciting stuff, uh, so anyway, that's why these episodes came out out of order, and thank you for, I saw a bunch of people, I can't believe, I mean, I can't, <laughs> I don't mean to make it sound like I doubt myself, but just let's say it this way. It is wonderful to see how many new listeners I have, and welcome, and I love you all, I appreciate you all, I know if you're here, it's for a reason, I know a lot of people on TikTok. TikTok. oh my god, TikTok. Talk, say that, uh, you know, if you're seeing this, it's meant for you, that's not how I mean it, I just mean that my experience has been that most of the people who come listen to my podcast do so because something resonates with them, whether it's um the goddess energy or grid work or uh galactic heritage or mintaka, you know, there's a lot of different things. But usually it turns out that they are people who uh relate to all that. And that's why I say, uh, I know you're meant to be here and I'm glad you are. Um, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like the podcast was kind of born out of a need to express myself and connect with people more and just get some of my thoughts out. And then it's turned into what it has. And I'm very grateful for that. So in moments where I am grieving, sad, worried about something, you know, any time when I might be curled up under the covers, just crying, which some of it will be that, but, uh, the other thing I want to do is get on here and talk to the world. I think being able to express myself in this way, and I'm I'm glad for everybody who continues to do it, and anything that looks like an imitation at all, I am pleased that you're there, that you're out there expressing yourself. I am flattered by any sort of... Um, you know, similarity with others, new things, Uh, and I welcome it because podcasting in general has been, uh, the female voice has been not as prevalent in any area, that was what surprised me a year ago when I was looking at metaphysical podcasts and just, you know, paranormal, all of those things. I was surprised to see how few, uh, female voices there were in relation and proportion to how many female practitioners there are. And I know we're trying to get away from non-binary, but you know what I mean? I'm just saying anything but a cis male voice or just male, you know, cishet voice maybe, uh, but more cis male, um, is pretty much just not there and over the years I have watched it grow and grow and grow and I think that is awesome and I'm glad you are all here um, this episode may be a little different than what you're expecting oh and the reason I'm saying I'm grieving and sad and podcasting makes me feel better is that um, I'm grieving and sad <laughs> Uh, And podcasting makes me feel better. A very close friend of mine died yesterday from COVID. I'm not going to lecture you about vaccines, but... Please do everything you can to take care of yourselves, because it is not an easy way to die, and... Especially if you wind up in the hospital. And it is so contagious right now. I really worry about my unvaccinated peeps. Uh, But, you know, at the very least, wear a mask. Because it's not even just about protecting from the virus anymore. It's protecting everybody from this slowly building wave Of grief that is feeling more insurmountable by the day. This is my personal second one since Thanksgiving. Uh, And this one was a big one. He was a significant person in my life. So that's why I'm here. In, I don't know, maybe a week or so, we haven't exactly set a date, but uh, Supernatural Sarah and I are doing a swap cast. Um, I'm going to go on hers and talk about my whole uh, health journey throughout my life. Um, I've I've faced a lot of (laughs) challenges and character building in that area. I've learned a lot and I'm able to help people with it now. And fortunately, it seems like uh, the grid work and love energy and what I've been doing has the benefit of physical healing and repair. Um, All of my illnesses have the potential to be in remission. And be managed. But when you have a lot of overlapping things. And you live like a normal. um, Capitalist. Completely western medicine lifestyle. um, It's very difficult. Not to have like low grade symptoms all the time. Or to get everything in remission at the same time. So, I seem to be having a golden moment like that. Uh, I say it that way because this is something, I don't mean to go off on ableism. This is something that uh, makes it more difficult to deal with these things. Is being completely, uh, I don't even know what the right word is. It's not even bullying, it's just like the able world uh puts so much pressure on anyone that is differently abled or has health challenges to like overcome them or just heal or uh suddenly be perfect um because they don't want to face death or potential illness, it makes them uncomfortable. So it's easier to try to shut us up. And truthfully, most of us don't even want to talk about it that much. That's why I'm going on Sarah's podcast to kind of be interviewed about it because I don't want to just talk about it alone to you guys. And I don't want to talk about it at all. (laughs) But I think people need to know that this work that I've been doing energetically has allowed me to get to this place of everything being fairly well managed all at the same time with minimal symptoms and flaring. Uh, I still deal with a significant amount of pain and whatnot, but that's pretty easy for me to just sort of shut off at this point. Um, But at any rate, all of that is to say that um, it's important to talk about pain management, substance use disorder, harm reduction. I'm sure Sarah will talk about that when she comes online. And we need to be able to do it without shame. And Some people need to accept that maybe they have been ableist, maybe they have been judgmental because of their own experience and feeling the need to impose what works for them on other people. Um, Because I'm not saying I'm perfect for anyone. There's many ways to get to a place of optimal health, which that's part of the problem is we need to reframe our definition of optimal health. Optimal health needs to be your best healthiest condition So in my case that doesn't mean like 130 pounds. I don't know what the standard uh, Weight height ratio is uh, These days it might be higher But at any rate, um, you know the expectation that to be in optimal health I would have to be in a, a thin body a smaller body, I, uh, would need to be able to exert myself in a certain way. Um, work enough hours in the capitalist system, uh, never have a bad day. Um, be able to manage my mood and bypass the human experience all the frickin' time. That is what is considered optimal health, (laughs) along with an expectation of, you know, a certain amount of whatever our brains are wired to think symmetrical beauty is the superior version of. There's this whole set of shit, when in reality, it's just working with the body that you have, because whatever body you have, you're meant to have. There's no one to blame. There's no reason to be mad at your body. As a matter of fact, you should love your body for kicking ass, dealing with whatever it is that you struggle with. If you do, whether it's, you know, mental health or and I'm tired of like, I can't remember. I think there's a new term for mental health possibly coming forth. Just because it makes it sound like it's different than a, a disease, you know, like, um, I don't know, it still puts it out there that like, oh, well, you know, if you just fix your brain or your mindset or whatever, you're going to be able to fix yourself and never be depressed or sad or anxious or any of the things that human experience, humans experience, um, which reminds me, I am going to do in January, I might be able to do it sooner, but probably January, a Zoom about ways to calm your vagus nerve and your fight or flight system so that you can reduce your level of anxiety. This is not like you know some big thing where it's like oh you have to meditate or you have to do a whole lot of work it it really doesn't take a whole lot and some of the things are passive and you can do while you're sleeping or going to sleep um anyway uh calming that vagus nerve really changes the game of the human experience it's like getting you know whatever uh, level up in a video game you get that makes you, um, have more strength, more resilience, um, an ability to process difficult experiences quicker while still getting all of the lesson and experience from it. So I'm looking forward to doing that to help everybody because, uh, Things might be a little bumpy for a few months, but I don't think it's going to be the whole year. I think it's going to just kind of come through and then we'll start um, a slow uphill climb into more of a joyful, peaceful co-creation. So Sarah did a really great episode about Big Pharma and that's what i'm going to talk about i know you've been waiting your whole life for the patreon community that is just for you my xanadu patreon my xanadu collective is there and ready to accept you in and support you in your expansion and your grid work. It is hard for me to do anything comedic, which I have to be fake serious. But for real though, the Patreon is so much fun and come join the party. You can also book any of my available services, some which I haven't even put on the menu yet because I don't know what to call them. I'm your one-stop shop for readings, energy work, Animal communication, mediumship, and anchoring of your consciousness. So, I even do academic tutoring. So, if I can be of service to you or you want to join the Patreon, that is where you get the most bang for your buck because you can get. Uh, reading every month if you join at the VIP tier, and I'm always running specials each month for bonuses for when you join at any tier. So head on over to my link tree and check out my Patreon, my services on Square, and my other podcasts as well. I am providing you with as much entertainment and love and resources and fun as I have in me, and I appreciate my patrons more than they know. I thank them on the daily, and I would love to be thanking you on the daily. So if you would like to support the podcast, that is a great way to do it by joining the Patreon. Much love, and if I can be of service to you in a private reading, book that at my Square Booking site through the link tree. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Now back to that interview. So my coffee's kicked in, and perhaps I'll talk a little faster and have less ums and pauses. Uh, so, Sarah talked about opiate addiction on Supernatural Sarah. go Make sure you go check that out. Um, a lot of people, because of the controversy over vaccines and pharmaceutical companies not being trusted, and rightly so, um, there's kind of been this war against the idea that there is any sort of a big pharma conspiracy, and Sarah goes into the data, you know, the scholarly articles and journalist reports that have been put out over over the years in the history of opiates being released onto the market, and doctors being paid to prescribe them, and just kind of how the whole opiate addiction crisis came to be. And then also how um, and I'm. it's going to take a while for me to get to where I'm good at saying substance uh, abuse disorder but addict has a, such a um, negative tone about it and the whole thing about people being clean and it just, it, it characterizes it in a way that is truly unfair and um, demotivational and not helpful at all. So I will do my best to try to remember that. I might just start calling it SAD or S-A-D for a while, even though that also means seasonal affective disorder. But, you know, it all all comes down to the same thing. It's uh, ways that our brain doesn't function optimally because of a lack of something or too much of something. So when Sarah was talking about all of this, I couldn't help but think about all the varied experience because there are people who have uh, chronic pain or chronic illnesses that they have to manage basically for a lifetime who require pain management And not everyone develops a substance abuse disorder. That being said, doctors also tend to give some people more than they need. uh, Just because people, some people are really, really sensitive to medication. I happen to be one of those. And if you're not someone who is in tune with your body and you're not able to say, you know what? I really only, only need half of one of these pills uh, to feel better and be able to function, you know, be able to walk. I'm not talking about like being high out of your mind. I'm talking about, okay, the pain is managed to a level where I can now get up and do the dishes or, you know, do whatever it is I need to do. Uh, most of the time it's sitting. That is the bane of my existence. Driving is also, but I obviously suck up the pain to deal with that because I happen to be so sensitive to medication that I just don't feel safe driving if I have taken anything that, you know, causes, um, impaired driving or any kind of impairment at all. So, uh, it just really made me think though, especially about how. I am more of an example of uh, a positive experience of that and on my end have sort of gotten some character, uh, what's the word? Assassination is too hard to think. Character judgments put upon me by doctors or pharmacists or um, the system in general, insurance companies, because of the opiate, uh, substance abuse issue, uh, and the prevalence of it, the methods of regulation that are used to try to curb it, which I understand are important, also become, um, a thing where someone is always placing a judgment on you in some way you have to like sign contracts. Like you have done something wrong or have abused a substance when you actually haven't, um, as a precursor so that, uh, doctors and clinics do not have liability. Uh, if you become dependent on something in an unhealthy way, um, And then there's the treatment at pharmacies and, you know, and there's goodness. And then there's uh, people who either need to make money or have such a bad abuse disorder that they will kind of scope out the pharmacy counter and wait to see someone who's picking up um, pain medication or whatever it is they're looking for. And then follow them home and steal it, you know, or mug them in the parking lot. So there's just all kinds of stuff that goes with it, even from the perspective of someone who um, does not have that sort of a dependency, uses it appropriately. Um, But like I said, there are a lot of doctors who prescribe way more than people need. And not everybody is aware that, oh, well, maybe if I take half of this muscle relaxer, My body will stop what it's doing and stop seizing up, but I'll still be able to, uh, function and be awake and do things and I won't be high. So that was a big old intro, but, uh, so my personal experience, I'm not going to go into all the details of why, but, um, I have been on medication for neuropathy for, almost 20 years now because I had permanent nerve damage from childbirth. And uh, then I also require a muscle relaxer and um, occasionally pain medication. But the pain meds that I take are... Uh, very low dose. They're not, um, con- you know, they're not one of the, like it's not Oxycontin or Percocet or something exciting like that. Um, and I don't have to take it very often. Uh, I don't have to take it all day. Um, I almost always have to take it at night or else I won't be able to sleep. Partly because Move, you know, I need an equal amount of movement and rest so that my body does not start to have imbalances and sleeping is too much of being, uh, in a laying down position. So if I don't take medication at night, I will wake up in pain in the middle of the night and lose sleep, which then makes you have more pain. And then it just feeds this awful cycle And then you're taking more uh, pain medication overall and more muscle relaxers because you wake up feeling horrible. So little tip there. Um, But my point with that is, is that uh, if anything, most of my experience with it was they would prescribe it to me and then I would try it like they said and go, okay, damn, I'm messed up and I think I can take uh, half of this or a third of this and get a benefit without having it be too much for my body. And then once I got them to understand that, uh, we found very low doses of things that help. And then I have not had to increase it, um, except for when I've had surgery or something like that, or a really bad flare for a while. Um. Those don't happen too often, but when they do, I will need more pain medication because it is painful. And then you're also having to take, um, prednisone, which is a steroid and that has other things. It's like it, it tells, it stops the immune reaction and makes your body calm down, but then it has its own side effects like everything does. So, uh, would it be ideal to not have to take anything? Of course it would, but I'd also be dead. So I think I'm just going to stick with what works for me. And I have not had to take more for two decades. So I'm okay with it. And I don't feel like I have an abuse disorder. Um, However, my mom, uh, about 20 plus years ago, Once she was diagnosed as bipolar, um, and borderline, they started, you know, having to give her the bipolar, it, she really had to have medication. It made her so deeply depressed. Her chemistry was just off. And sadly, it's, it was from a lifetime of like untreated, unprocessed PTSD uh, when your fight or flight system and the bipolar chemical reaction in the brain is untreated for years and years or not, you know, overcome somehow with therapy or EMDR or whatever works, because there's a lot of different things that help people in different ways. Not everybody needs to be on medication, Um, but she really did. And it took like a decade to get that right. Um, she she had been in this cycle of mental firing of adrenaline and cortisol so much that she had such deep grooves in her brain that it kind of made it so that she could not be unmedicated so once that was uh somewhat stable There was like a whole other decade of antidepressant roulette as they would give her different things uh, that was either supposed to help with the um, bipolar and borderline or which I know they say you can't medicate borderline. But, you know, it was all trying to work together for some sort of optimal mental wellness. But um they they would try these different meds that were for that or that were supposed to um, help fibro pain. And so we, we would go through this cycle of about twice a year. Uh, she would have a really severe bipolar episode, usually in the depressive. Uh, but a lot of, you know, sometimes she would be manic. Um, and then afterwards have a big, big crash. Uh, so they were constantly jacking with her meds. And so there would be occasions where they would give her something and it just, I mean, it really pushed her into psychosis basically. And so, uh, or it would make her a a zombie, you know, really drugged up and, and not functioning well. Um, I can't even remember what the name of the medication was at this time, but um, I'm trying to remember which came first. There was something with pain management they tried to do with my mom. And then there was something with uh, the fibro and depression that they gave her, but I can't remember. Um, So anyway, when my son was five so 14 years ago um on his birthday no less i think it was the day before um and also a few days after my friend went missing who we eventually found out was murdered i'll tell you i i don't know what it is with me in these clusters but my tower moments usually happen like a damn wrecking ball (laughs) flew through (laughs) my life, but, and then I'll have like a, just a nice boring decade. (laughs) Not lately though. They seem to be annual. Um, so at any rate, uh, she had accidentally overdosed. Um, and I just happened to call her and I could tell they gave her this new med and either she took too much or something happened. Something definitely went wrong. That's for sure. And they think she might have also had a, I forget what they call it, a mini stroke. Uh, So, had I not called her, I don't know what would have happened. Because I called her, just happened to call her for some reason. I'm like in the Walmart parking lot after I went for some kid birthday bullshit. And uh, I called her and she was slurring her words and she was able to tell me uh what was going on a little bit and so I hung up I told her I was calling the ambulance and then you know I drove like a bat out of hell (laughs) to her house which wasn't that far thankfully I got there when the ambulance did and then followed them to the hospital but um so that was one of the times when the way she was being prescribed things and experimented on. Every time a new drug came out, um, her this particular doctor she was seeing during this period. Thankfully, we found a new doctor after that. Uh, but the particular doctor she was seeing was kind of like one of those Medicare fraud, Medicaid fraud doctors who mostly dealt with the elderly And kind of took advantage of their lack of knowledge of their own bodies and medicine and stuff. And seeing doctors as gods to do all this shit that they didn't need or overprescribe. And uh, it was a nightmare. So, there was that. Um, Then, goodness. Yeah, I think the fentanyl patches were before that. So, yeah. At one point, my mom was having a lot of... Uh fibro pain, and she also has she had some really severe back injuries. The woman was hit by a car. I talk all about it on my other podcast. Call me Karen uh I'll put the the app for that in the notes, but um, I did some episodes about her life because I had to be her memory when she got dementia last year, and we had to go through the diagnosis process the neuropsychiatrist had to have her entire life story, and I was her databank, ironically, got goddess of memory. So, uh, yeah, hit by a car, beaten up by bikers. I mean, Jesus, she just, and there's stuff I didn't even talk about, but a lot happened to her. So by the time she got to be my age, her level of pain that she was in was awful. Plus, They kept giving her stronger and stronger drugs at the time. This was before everybody was like, oh crap. Uh, Oxycontin makes people have horrible abuse issues and disorders. Um, So when it got to the point where she was kind of a, you know, like morphine level of pain. I don't know if tram at all had been created yet uh, she, they wanted to give her fentanyl patches. And so they did. And like within a week, I could tell that this was just bad. And thankfully I was able to talk to her about it and she didn't like how she was feeling either. And she stopped taking them. But my point is that there have been so many times If I wasn't involved in my mother's life and her care, that she would be gone because of the way that drugs are put out by the pharmaceutical industry and how they're prescribed. And we need to stop demonizing both the management of pain because some drugs are necessary. And I'm not just saying that because I need to take some, all right? And this is very vulnerable for me to come out and say this, and I'm, I'm hoping, I don't think any of my listeners would give me any hate or judgment, but I know there are some people who are, are sober as they define it, or um, have very strong opinions about not use, taking anything that they consider um, a mind-altering substance. Sometimes including antidepressants and psychoactive medications. So I think there needs to be some middle ground here where we accept that there are some physical conditions and there are some levels of pain that if you did not medicate people, they would kill themselves. That's not an abuse disorder. That's a medical need. So... And, and I'm not saying that I'm suicidal or that I really ever have been. Uh, but I can say that there were moments uh, throughout my health journey where I was in so much pain or so sick. That I did not know if I could continue living. If I did not find some sort of relief from it. Whether it was medication Or adding in, because I mean, I do, it's so funny when people, God, please, for the love of goddess, if you're listening to this and you love me, please don't drop me a bunch of comments or DMs with healers or new Reiki or uh, supplements or diets, worst of all, um, or anything that you think I haven't already seen or tried. Okay. And I don't mean that in a nasty way. It's just, I've been dealing with this shit since I was 13 years old. Can you imagine how many people who couldn't deal with their own fear of death and illness and had to fix me, have come at me and how much judgment I've gotten? So at any rate, please don't do that because I just don't. I really don't want it. And I especially don't want your curse removals and your spells. Oh, God, those people drive me nuts. If anyone messages you like that, in case you're new to this woo world or the metaphysical, um, if anyone DMs you directly offering you their services, you probably don't want to deal with them. Most people do not do that. Who are reliable and trustworthy. Boy, I'm spilling it, aren't I? Uh, let's see. So, my mom, yeah. And it continues to be a battle because now, God, I'm taking care of my mom, right? And so I have to deal with all her medical stuff, I have to deal with her ups and downs, her roller coaster ride of mental health uh her um like tracking which things make her more anxious or less anxious which things make her brain not work as well you know it's it's like medical advocacy to the 10th power and uh what they just did recently because insurance companies are like well shit we got to cut some corners because we got these, uh, COVID cases out the ass. So, um, I know we'll fuck with the old people. So they've decided that, um, God, and this is just so absurd, you guys. It's just so absurd. So my mom who with her PTSD and everything, severe anxiety, like someone revving their car outside can trigger a whole panic attack in this woman's body. And she really does the best she can. And, I, and, you know, and I help her too. But sometimes, like, she needs something to manage that. And so she takes one, one milligram of Valium twice a day. Now, I think the highest prescribed dosage on a regular basis I've heard of is, like, people taking... Uh, up to 12 milligrams a day. So, I mean, one milligram twice a day. Like, it's like, and the pills are so tiny, and I have to cut them in half, you know? So, anyway, uh, in December, she was told, and I have to go to all of her appointments, including the Zoom ones, because she can't get on there. Um, We were told that Uh, if she remained on the Valium and wasn't willing to try to switch to something else to get off of it, that the insurance company for their medical facility was requiring them to make patients sign contracts, come in and do a fucking P-test. Excuse me, everybody. Here's where I get ranty. Come in and do a fucking P-test every month as if she did have an abuse disorder problem when she has never demonstrated that. Uh in all these years with them. Um, and like try this other medication when almost every time they try to switch her medication or give her some new antidepressant or something, it just makes her psychotic. Like I said, it's, it's maddening when you get someone who really struggles on a daily basis stable and then you just mess with their medications because you need to save money so basically they're taking all old people anyone 66 and up off of anything that's a benzo and making them try buspar um because it's supposed to help with anxiety because And it's not even because of abuse disorder, it's because of a fall risk that, you know, I guess statistically either it has a fall risk, so they're just automatically yanking it, or they have some sort of statistics that elderly people on benzos fall more than elderly people who don't. I don't know what the truth is there. I have no idea. I haven't done the research. But just the idea that they're going to take this woman who has fucking dementia. And all of this mental health to struggle with along with physical pain. That they're going to take away her fucking, you know, one volume a day. Uh, So she and I were both so... And then treat her like she has a, an abuse problem. And and I guess that's to make sure she's not like buying extra and taking more. But, um, I think that would be the justification for that, that they would come up with. So she and I were both just like, And I mean, I'm trying not to get too riled up because I don't want her to get more excited, but I think she appreciated me advocating for her. Um, And basically he was saying, here's the bad thing. Her psychiatrist is wonderful. And he said, I'm not okay with this decision. And he said, it's really hard for me to have to do this because you're doing fine. And I have no problem with you taking this. You know what i mean and so i think the other option is for her to either get it from her primary care doc maybe i haven't talked to him about that yet or uh another psychiatrist who doesn't work for this clinic who is imposing these new rules uh so i mean you can see where this was all a nightmare and this time last year they tried her on another medication called i can't remember what the brand name of it is but it's mirtazapine and that was also to try to help bring down her valium dosage but we had to take her off of that because that made her wow i mean i just i can't even describe how uh, it was so bad That I was almost at the point of having to break down and tell her social worker, look, I can't do any of these things for her anymore. Uh, You're going to have to find her an assisted living to go live in because I cannot do this. Um, Because right now she's able to live on her own with some caregivers and with my help with all of the other stuff. And I manage her medication um and hold it so that she doesn't accidentally overdose or have an impulsive moment of mania or anxiety and swallow a bottle of valium because she's afraid of losing her mind over time, you know. Reasonable fear, poor woman. Uh but she's really doing good most of the time. Anyway, so she got herself Down from, and I think she was taking two milligrams twice a day, and for her that was just way too much. Um, and she didn't know that it was like she thought the pills were less strength than they were. So, or no, 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 oh, that's right, she was taking four milligrams twice a day, and she had no idea. She thought she was taking two milligrams twice a day, and so when she realized that that's when she was like, all right, I need to taper off of this and I'm not going to take their damn antidepressant to do it. So she got herself down from four milligrams twice a day to one milligram twice a day. And now she's only taking it in the morning, um, and only takes it at night if she's had a triggering event during the day because she lives in an apartment complex. And that means a lot of, uh, people and noise, and things that trigger her so uh, the idea of having to insert another medication into this chemical mixture of all the other bipolar meds she's on and try to make sure she's okay was just daunting but I will tell you that fortunately the abuse bar is helping her with her anxiety. So if you if you're doing any kind of elder care, good thing to know that this does seem to help with the anxiety that they get even just from the cognitive impairment itself, but I think also from the stress of not being able to remember what happened the day before or having one of those conversations where they know you've already told them and that they've forgotten um I'm getting better at better blah, 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 blah better and better at communicating with her without making it about having already told her, you know, just really trying to be in the moment so that I'm not stressing her out because there's a fine line between having her understand how she's doing so that she sticks with the things that help her um, and understands That she needs to trust me to do certain things for her. Or that I am taking care of it. Um. But. There's a fine line between that. And. Like. Upsetting or shaming someone. Like constantly reminding someone. Oh remember we talked about that five times already. Uh. Because then they're just like shit. I forgot five times. Um. So that's not really motivational or helpful. Just focus on the positive things. So I'm glad my mother's still alive, and I'm glad that the abuse bar is working for her anxiety. She still is having a bit of trouble. I don't know why, and I guess I'll have to do some research. Maybe there's something safe and that won't be contraindicated with her other meds. It's holistic that I could give her to help her uh, with the withdrawal. Because even though it's such a small dose and her psychiatrist is like, I don't even know why you have withdrawal from this. Uh, she has it and I can see it. And so just like taking away the one at night and, and trying to uh, manage her anxiety and be at an acceptable level like it definitely affects her so uh and she has physical discomfort like she has the whole physical withdrawal oh and that's another thing everybody all right uh if you are someone who has an abuse disorder with benzo benzos things like valium uh ativan xanax I think there's another one. I can't remember the name of. Um, I haven't taken any of those. If if I'm sober from anything, I'm sober from tranquilizers because almost 12 years ago now, I guess uh, Keith Ledger accidentally overdosed, and I was on Ativan at the time because my anxiety and PTSD had upped to that level, and uh, I could go to Walmart. and be around people without taking an van, But I realized that I was just like one pill mistake away from killing myself accidentally. Uh, So I went off of them, but that is not the way to do it. Especially if you're taking something that is a Benzo, it is much better to slowly get off of it because, um, if you suddenly stop taking it, it can cause you to have a, a cardiac arrest. Or um, just have very horrible pain and discomfort. So it's important to have support. Like harm reduction like Sarah talks about. When you have to deal with these medications. So that's a little bit about Big Pharma and me. And honestly with my... Various conditions, if I had done everything the doctors wanted me to do from the very beginning, when I was 17, 18 years old, and I started saying, no, I'm not going to take this anymore, it makes me sick as hell, and I would rather die, um, and I did whatever holistic things I could, but I was just super sensitive or allergic To most of the anti-inflammatories they try to give you when you have a rheumatic condition. Uh, The prednisone may be sick as hell and feel terrible just mentally terrible Uh, so that wasn't a solution. At one point in my life I was on anti-malarials because that is an immune suppression and that wasn't bad there was some nausea but it made my vision blurry, so I stopped taking it, and then my eyes got better. Very rare side effect, apparently, but, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones. Uh, And then, at one point, I was on methotrexate every week for six years at a very low dose. That is a medication they use for chemotherapy, um, and I took it by injection. So, I have run the gamut of medical treatments when I had to, But I really tried to avoid that, uh, gambit as much as possible and did a pretty good job. And if I hadn't been able to listen to my body, follow my intuition. And I mean, just basic, like you have to realize when I first started getting sick and then they were trying to treat it, this is like the late eighties, um, And doctors were still gods. And you listened to what they said. So to go against the grain. Or insist on trying. uh, You know. Lifestyle change. And avoiding triggers. Of your illness. And. uh, Taking supplements. And things that help. um, You just did everything they told you. You know. You didn't have a good prognosis. Honestly. And. So it was very hard to do that and rebel against all of that, but I did. And then um because I was doing more holistic stuff, I also faced discrimination and judgment from the, you know, hippie health community, the wellness industry, because I didn't fit the optimal health definition I talked about in the beginning. And because I did take some medication, so that made me, Somehow a failure as a recipient of homeopathic or holistic medicine. Um, Oh, and then the fun part about having the particular things I have. I know I'm like being such a tease right now. Just not laying it out there. But um, people want to recommend all kinds of stuff that makes your illness worse and will kill you because they just don't know any better, but it, gosh, you know, something like echinacea. If I took echinacea, like all flu season long to try to protect myself, uh, it would kill me because my immune system would attack me. So uh, at any rate, just imagine having a whole bunch of people Feeling like it's their job to tell you all the time <laughs> to do shit. That's gonna make you worse when you know better. So just remember that you know your body better. And uh look for more information on this later when I'm on Supernatural Sarah. I feel really good about what I said here. I didn't want to go into too much drama, or emotional detail, but just share some of those facts, because the truth is, is neither my mom or I would be here if we had done everything they said. Oh my gosh, this episode is so funny and all over the place, and I just wanted to add in between the things where I just wanted to add something that uh, I'm not going to go through and edit out all this stuff, the pauses, the whatnots, um, fast forward, or me on (laughs) hyperspeed. It drives you crazy. And my apologies. Oh, and the other reason you couldn't see my season opener was because Spotify and Anchor are now linked up and they let you use actual music on your episode. But if you do that, they also limit the access of your episode to only premium Spotify members. It was like one of those things where you're like, I did not consent to this. So I took the song off on the end that was there and I'm not going to use their music anymore because screw them and their premium. Uh, That is all. Well, I'm really happy with how this turned out. Watch for the episode with Supernatural Sarah, both on her podcast and on mine. I'm going to put a link to her Big Pharma episode uh for sure and I think she might have another one on harm reduction or something that I might share uh in the notes because they're both really good but go check out her podcast because I truly enjoy listening to it myself and I'm looking forward to having her on so her episode will be you know coming out probably in January and uh let's see any other business yeah Watch for the announcement on my social meds, for the Zoom, probably Zoom, about ways to calm the vagus nerve and relaxing yourself. Um, Most people who have my level of challenges and have suffered the sorts of pain and whatnot that I have. Um, they're in wheelchairs or mobility carts or have to use mobility aids. They are often unable to drive. They, uh, often are in very intense pain management. Um, not limited to, but including the pain med med pumps that they're starting to give people, um, who have... I can't remember what it's called, but there are certain pain disorders where it's like your nervous system is just sending so many false signals. And I think honestly, my vagus nerve, you know, like my management of my adrenal system, my fight or flight system, the way I have brought peace and centering to my body, mind and spirit is a big part of the reason why I'm more physically able and don't have to take very much medication but most people who have my little crap let's just get to it uh would be on like morphine fentanyl you know the hard drugs and not able to do a whole lot um and also on really heavy duty immune suppression so i am oh it's really starting to snow now you guys i am like a little kid about snow i'm so excited um, anyway, (laughs) uh, I am so excited, um, so I think this was good, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope it gave you a little different perspective on both the opiate addiction crisis, I'm sorry, I said addiction again, abuse disorders in general, as well as how, uh, Self-awareness and patient advocacy is the only thing most of the time that separates someone from accidental overdose or a decline in health because they're not listening to their own body and they're assuming that whatever the doctor says is gospel or is 100% meant for them. And the thing is, is that the reason there's 15 antidepressants and, you know, so many varieties of everything is because not everything works for everyone because we are bio-individual. We are bio-individual. I studied for two years with the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and that is one of the principles there. It's a little bit diet culture-y still, and that's why I don't practice as a holistic health coach. But... We are bio-individual. Things do not work across the board for every single person. There are a lot of similarities and like some things are obvious. For instance, if you have chronic high blood pressure, you probably need some sort of blood pressure medication, but you also may be able to tame that with some lifestyle changes and watching, you know, what sorts of salts you intake. If you have diabetes, You know, obviously sugar is an issue and watching your blood sugar, making sure you eat, but, um, there's so many varieties of human out there. We're all so different. So that is why you have to be able to listen to your own body when a doctor prescribes something. And if it makes you feel bad in any way, you tell them right away because You're probably either taking too much of it or you could be allergic to it. I mean, I cannot tell you the list of medications that I'm allergic to, that they have tried to give me. My wedding was almost (laughs) ruined because they gave me, trying to think of what it was, I think it was Celebrex. It starts with a C. That's one of those anti-inflammatories they try to give people. With any sort of joint pain. And it, I had such an immediate allergic reaction. So I had hives. Just, just the thing you want for your wedding day. So listen to your bodies. That's really the message. Listen to your bodies. Watch for developing substance abuse. If you find yourself taking more of your medication than you're allowed to take. Like, for instance, all right, there have been times where, uh, like, I injured myself really badly because living in my body can sometimes mean that I have difficult falls or uh, accidents. It's gotten much better, though, um, with awareness of what's actually going on in my body. But uh, the. Um, during those times, you know, I, I'm not at, um, and I'll just tell you, I, I have codeine. That's my, my big pain pill. And I only need to take one of them on the rare occasion that I do take one. Um, so if I'm going to need to take more. Or, you know, I've hurt myself in some way. I will either message because I could do that. I can email them. Most people can now. There's medical portals where you get to talk to your doctors or their nurses. Um, I'll let them know, hey, I fell really badly down the stairs and I have bruises all over. And is it okay if I take, you know, extra whatever? Or I take these things together and I get medical permission for that and clearance so that I know it's okay but if you're finding yourself running out of your medication too soon um, trying to get more from other people that's another fun thing when you have to be on pain management not only do you have to worry about people following you home and wanting your drugs uh, you have to worry about your friends you would be amazed at how many friends I had to stop having around because they were just coming to get medication. This was 20 years ago, but at any rate, I'll leave you with that, that you just need to listen to your body and be aware if you start taking more of anything. Uh, And remember that when you're prescribed something, Chances are what they've done is they have made the minimum dose like the recommended dose Not the minimum dose, but the recommended dose is somewhere halfway in the middle between this much will overdose somebody and This much is enough to make them feel better Because then they sell more It's just a numbers game to them Uh, That high margin like, that's um, what doctors and nurses have told me before. And if anybody is in the medical profession and wants to school me on that, let me know. But most over-the-counter medications, especially, um, like, you could take twice as much as is prescribed most of the time and it's not going to hurt you. But you don't want to do that anyway. But, you know, that's how they figure it out. They're like, what's the maximum we can give people, but they really don't need that much And then we'll cut that in half. And that's what we make our recommended dose. Wow, this is a long outro. My apologies. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Introducing a new collaborative podcast, Meow Podcast. M-E-O-W-W, that's Muse, Elf, Oracle, Witch, and Wizard. A panel discussion on YouTube amongst people of different disciplines talking all things woo to help you along your personal ascension, expansion, spiritual journey. It's not a vibe, it's a frequency. Check out Meow Podcast on YouTube and you can... Get us at Pod at gmail.com. If you would like to be a guest on the pod, please give us an email. Otherwise, go check us out today on Meow Podcast. It's nothing but fun and a frequency of love. Okay, so here's the real outro. Be sure to be watching Now Podcast and Grooving Goddess and Fraggling with Serafina and Supernatural Sarah. I have a lot of guest appearances coming up on other people's podcasts that I will make you aware of. Um, and if you would like a private session with me, uh, book soon. I'm already starting to fill up for January, um, booking out into February. I... We'll be taking a month off every month in the winter out of necessity. And during those weeks, though, if there's any emergent need, just DM me. You know, if you're going through a rough time and I can be of help, just DM me. You won't be imposing or uh, crossing a boundary or anything. Um, Because I like to be here for everyone. And then if you do want to start working with me and get perhaps a consciousness anchoring, which is the thing I am most excited about at the moment because it's helping people to be more centered and fully in the human experience to be empowered to navigate it better um with less suffering that's what I mean there's still difficulty but there's less suffering uh that is what I'm excited to be offering and I will be offering half off of that through the month of January, I'll probably do it every month to be honest. Let's be honest, because I really believe in this particular modality that I am doing. Uh, but at any rate, um, patrons in the Patreon get a really great deal because if you're in the VIP tier, which is $20, uh, you get a free service every month. So you can get a reading for me that costs four times that much, plus all the Patreon content and personal attention, and a fun community for $20 a month. Um, Or, you know, book a private session with me if you're not down with Patreon or dealing with any of that. Those are great, too. Uh, I put out as much as I can on the podcast. I don't believe in gatekeeping. Uh, I created the Patreon because I knew it would attract people who are directly interested in grid work and that sort of thing and want to know more so that I don't go into things ad nauseum on the podcast. So I think that's everything. And I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Who knows? I might even get another episode out tomorrow. I love you all so much and really appreciate you. I appreciate all the new people. And, oh, one last thing. I don't think I said this at any point yet. Uh, Merch dropping in January. Got some cool stuff coming. Really excited about it. So much love to everyone.
0: Joe.